Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Thank you, Jesus. We release the kids at this time to go back with uh, Ricky, Noah. Thank you, Lord. So excited about what all the Lord is doing. I uh, just want to echo what Rebecca said about Saturday night. Uh, we want you to come be a part. We've also extended the invitation to Church of the Harvest, so I know some of their folks are going to be joining us as well. Um, so we want to come and just celebrate what the Lord is doing. How many of you love fasting? Right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Chris raised his hand and he was like, no, nah, I'm playing. Amen. How many of you are... Uh, are struggling fasting. Let me see your hand. Yeah. I noticed day one, actually, as soon as I got out of the bed, day one, I noticed that the enemy was going after my mind. Anybody, anybody deal with any of that day one? Yeah. 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 And so, um, my approach has been to increase my time praying in the Holy ghost. Uh, that, that has been my approach to that. And, um, I, I sense that there's something that's really happening in the spirit. And that's why, uh, the intense, um, attempts to come through, uh, I, I've totally defined, redefined the way that I do warfare. I'm not interested in attempting to go toe to toe with the enemy because he's not on my level. You understand? He's, he's not on my level. I'm seated in heavenly places, far above every principality, every power of darkness, every ruler in high places. And, and so I, I have just come to realize that in those moments when I feel that attack, I'll, I'll, I'll close my eyes and I'll dial down, or if I can't close my eyes, I'll just begin to, to meditate on scripture on, and, and pray in the Holy Ghost. It really is, um, it, it really is amazing. And so um, I just want to commend you for, for doing that. And I, I have a sense, I really do, I have a sense uh, like I haven't in a long time that the Lord is really, really wanting to do some stuff through this, this 10 days that will carry us through the rest of the year. I'm always amazed at the timing of the Lord. And a few uh, weeks ago, I, I can't remember exactly. It may even be a few months ago. He brought to remembrance something that um, he had shared with me some time ago, actually some years ago. And um, I kind of filed it away and said, okay, I'm going to get into that and, and I'll, I'll look back at that. Well, I felt really impressed to do that this week. And, uh, it's amazing because I look at my, my journal right there and it says, uh, 124, 2014. So it's just amazing the timing of the Lord. So this week in 2014, the Lord began to share some stuff with me that, um, I, I'm going to share with you and then I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully my hope is that when we leave here today, we're going to have a completely different conception of fasting and, and what that looks like. Okay. And, and, um, I hope that it is a result of us being able to see the goodness of God. I really do. I, I hope that we can see that. Thanks, man. You don't have to do that. 
any longer, although I would like for you to do it the whole time. You don't have to. So if you want to get your Bibles, in just a moment, I'm going to go to Joel chapter 2. Fairly familiar passages of Scripture there. Um, And so they don't have Joel in the Passion Translation yet, so we'll be in the New King James Version. Here's what I want to say. The promises of God are yes and amen. Do you know what that means? How many of you think that the promises of God being yes and amen are a double indicator that he's going to make good on it? How many of you, that's your thought of that scripture? Mine was too. It actually means that his promises are yes and our amen with what he said solidifies it in our life. Our yes, that's right. That's what amen means. Our yes, that's right, solidifies those promises in our heart. We are called into partnership and fellowship to co-share the life of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, go read that sometime. We are called into fellowship. We're called into communion. We're called into common union with Christ, the anointed one. We get to be partakers, Peter said, of his divine nature. We're, we're partners. <clears throat> it is our amen that then connects us to the partnership with him to see those promises come to pass in our lives. Okay. We were in a night watch Uh, For those of you who may not know what a night watch is, we were praying from about 8 till, I don't remember, maybe 2 or 3 in the morning on January the 24th, 2014. And I specifically remember we were in the warehouse still and I was over to the right like I often was on the floor praying and just going through and hearing what the Lord was saying. And he took me to Joel chapter two and I saw something in Joel chapter two that I had never seen in my entire life. And being Pentecostal, you can imagine how many times I had read Joel chapter two because it's what Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost. So, so I had been in there numerous times and had never seen what the Lord was showing me in that moment. And I believe what he was showing me was a prophetic picture of the body of Christ at large, including awakening, but at large. And um, for some time now, I really have felt like what the Lord is wanting to do with awakening is to create a reproducible footprint across the city and the state and ultimately the nation. Um, You say, well, you're thinking highly of, no, not at all. I mean, I'm thinking of what the Lord wants to do. And when he begins to dream through us, he does things that are way beyond our imagination. And if they're not, then what are we doing, right? If it doesn't take faith to accomplish what it is that he's wanting to do, then, you know, it's left up to our own understanding. And so he began to show me some things in here. And so I'm going to read verses 12. uh, Let's go. Yeah, verses 12 through 17. And um, we'll just see what the Lord does there. Is that okay? Everybody good today? Yes. All right. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness 
and he relents from doing harm. I love that. That's an excerpt out of Psalm 103. I love that the prophets and the musicians, the psalmist David, are coming together to tell us, hey, listen, everything you think about God may not be completely accurate, and I love that it's in the Old Testament. Right? I love that it's in the Old Testament. A lot of times we equate everything in the Old Testament with if you mess up, you die. Hey, there's some of that in there. I enjoy reading that too. It's kind of fun. But um, anyway, the prophet is, is leaning into Psalm 103, or Psalm 103 is leaning into the prophet Joel, regardless of however you want to see it, and he begins to give us a picture of the Lord. And I want you to notice this, that he says, repent, call a fast, rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, he's saying do something that is not just something that can be seen on the outside. Let it actually affect your heart. Remember, we talked about that last week in Isaiah 58, that that's what the prophet is saying. He's saying, listen, the fast that I have chosen is that your heart would change, not that you would look like you're fasting and look humble. And and so the, the, the prophet is declaring this, and in the midst of the fast, in the midst of the repentance, in the midst of calling the sacred assembly, he wants you to know that God is good. A lot of times when I approach fasting, I approach fasting with, oh my goodness, I have to fast again. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I know nobody else in here does that, but hey, that's what happens, right? And I, want to, I just want to say, I, I have a wrong perception when that is the approach that I take at first. And I'm I'm, I'm going to show you that. I want to show you how that when we constantly look at God, whether it be Old Testament, New Testament, when we constantly look at him through a justice perspective that justice has to be done and we have to perform to make this happen and, and all of this. I started doing a study this week. I started doing a study on the I wills of God where he says, I will do this, I will do that. And I just began to list them in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I began to look at this. And every single one, let let me say this. I don't want to say every single one unless somebody go find one and say, Ryan, that's not true. Most of them are connected to if I do something, then I will do this. Most of them are connected to an if and then like we see in Isaiah 58, okay? So if I do this, then God says, I will do this, okay? Most of them are connected. One of the things that the enemy has done is he has taken that portion that is our part and twisted it to make it look like it's performance, which is religion, and made it look like it is a checklist that we check off. And then if what God said he would do doesn't happen, now we're upset because it didn't happen exactly the way he was. And what God has been addressing in Isaiah 58 and what he's addressing in that moment right there, rend your heart and not your garments, is that when you do this but your heart doesn't change, it's as if you didn't even do it. Now that, that kind of ticks me off because there's some fasts that I've done and it's as if I didn't even do them, right? You understand what I'm saying? And so the prophet is saying, listen, rend your heart and not your garment and get an understanding that God is good. He's slow to anger. The psalmist said he's rich in love. He says he's kind. And he relents from doing harm. 
Verse 14, who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Do you understand what he's saying right there? He's saying that the offering that you are to offer, the Lord will give that to you. Because he gives seed to the sower. Y'all see that? Okay. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let's read that part again. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between porch and altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Okay. I, I want to focus just for a moment on what the, the prophet Joel is saying here. Understanding that in the Bible there are types and shadows. We know that, right? We know that there are types and shadows. And when you see a bride in the Old Testament, because everything is pointing to Christ, everything is Christocentric, it's pointing to him. When you see a bride in the Old Testament, it's pointing to the church, the bride in the New Testament. We understand that, right? Okay. The Proverbs 31, that is not just a single woman. Okay, that is a bride. That that collectively, it is it, it is a bride. <clears throat> Eve, Rebecca. I, I mean, we could go on and on. Ruth, uh, Hosea, um, and, and when you get into the New Testament, even Jairus's daughter, Jairus's daughter, who who was. Um, she, she fell dead when the woman who had the issue of blood, which is also a type and a shadow of the bride to come because the church had not been formed yet. So we, we see these types and shadows and God speaks in marriage terms because he's a God of intimacy. Now you've heard me say over and over and over again, probably until you're tired of hearing that there's a whore and there's a bride. And the only difference between the whore and the bride is their approach to intimacy. In scripture, there's a whore and there's a bride. And the difference is the approach to intimacy. You cannot purchase intimacy. If you purchase intimacy, we all know what that's called, right? Okay. So he speaks in marriage terms. And what I want you to understand is that Joel is prophesying in the time of Manasseh, who was an, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He's prophesying in a time where awakening is needed. He's prophesying in a time when revival is needed. And the answer from the Lord, the prophets are declaring, thus saith the Lord, call a fast, consecrate yourselves, have a sacred assembly, come together, rend your hearts and not your garments, okay? So that when you do that, there is this whole list that starts in verse 18 of things that will happen as a result of turning your heart to God, okay? So I want you to understand that. He's on, Joel is literally on a mission to sound an alarm that they must return to righteous living, not religious piety, okay? One of the things that is really weighing on me in, in, in this time and in our culture is the idea, and, and I really am, am struggling with the way to communicate this because the Lord has been so teaching me about his goodness and about his grace. You all know we stayed a long time on the idea, uh, on the idea of Jesus looking at Peter and saying, hey, 
I've prayed that you would remain faithful, but when you do screw up, I want you to come back to me and you're still going to do it. You know, we spent a lot of time on that. You remember that? He's telling Peter, listen, I want you, I'm praying that you'll remain faithful, but I know you're going to blow it. And so there's a lot that, that I'm learning about the grace of God that I didn't necessarily uh, have when I was growing. There's a lot that I'm, that I'm learning about the, the goodness of God that I didn't understand as a younger man. But here's, what I wanna, here, here's, where, I, here's where I get torn sometimes. It is imperative that we understand that we cannot normalize sin in the name of God being good. We cannot normalize behavior that is contrary to the Bible and expect to just sweep it under the rug and say, well, grace will cover it. Grace that points us away from holiness is a slippery slope. Are you with me? And so Joel is saying, listen, we're not going to continue to do religious piety. We're not going to continue to do religious routine, but we are going to rend our hearts and get back to righteous living. He calls for an adjustment of position. One of the things that I'm asking the Lord for in this 10-day fast, man, I feel the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I'm asking the Lord for in this 10-day fast is that those of you who are called to intercession would answer that call once again. I want you to listen to me. I, I know that we've made intercession about uh, a sect of people and, and turned it into something that, that maybe it, it shouldn't be. And, and I know that we've got the, the charismaniacs that, that make intercessors look this way and, and that way. <laughs> Have you seen the meme where they got Rambo dressed up and a little bit of makeup on and said, what your intercessors look like in your church? <laughs> Looks like Rambo. I, I, I know that we've all seen those things. But one of the things that the Lord is really putting on my heart is the importance for people to step into their identity as intercessor. Some of you were built for the sole purpose of standing in the gap and interceding in worship. I saw that on my daughter one time. I don't know, she was maybe 13 or 14. And I watched her in worship and the Lord began to download some things to me and say she is literally interceding in worship right now. And so I'm asking that there would be a repositioning in this fast for people who are called to intercession. Do you understand when you accept that call to intercession, you have the ability to affect things from your home across the nation and across the globe. And it's not just for a, 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 a sect of people or it's not just for this particular group. He has called those of us that are called to minister to the Lord to reposition ourselves between porch and altar into intercession. Can I help us today? Do you, Jesus name, there was no worship leader that was just called to sing. You were called to minister to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You happen to have a gift. I'm going to go as far to say there's no preacher that was called just to hold a mic and stand and talk to people. They were called to minister before the Lord and the byproduct of their relationship with God between porch and altar in the place of intercession is that there's something that spills out of them and then things begin to change. Are, are you with me? And so I'm asking the Lord to bring intercessors back to their place. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Here, here's where I want to go, and, and then I'll, I'll try to get off of Joel too if I can. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. 
One of the things that the Lord showed me in 2014 is that the bride has been so infatuated with herself in the mirror that she did not step out of the dressing room in order to meet the bridegroom at the altar. Let the bridegroom come out of the dressing room. We have spent so much time as the bride dolling ourselves up. We've spent so much money making sure that the bride looks like she can play the part that we missed the opportunity to step out of the dressing room and actually meet eye to eye with the bridegroom. Now, here's what's really interesting. It says, let the bridegroom come out of his chamber. I'm not going into this, but Peter said that we have the ability to hasten the day of the Lord. And one of the things that I believe that the Lord is calling us to, one of the things that I believe he's asking in 2020 is that the bride would not be so infatuated with her reflection in the mirror, but she would come out of the dressing room and meet the bridegroom face to face. And when we do that, it says that the bridegroom is coming out of his chamber as well. Can you hear what I'm saying today by the Holy Spirit? I'm saying that we cannot continue to do this internal thing where we're infatuated with the way that we look and we're infatuated with what happens in here on Sunday. That's why Isaiah 58 says what it says. I'm not asking you to do another thing in routine. I'm asking you to do something that changes your heart and then changes a nation. Guys, I'm telling you that what the Lord is wanting to do in this body is to create a reproducible footprint that will go across this city, this state, and this nation and call people back to the man Jesus. So he says, come out of the dressing room. We've been infatuated with the dressing room. The bride has been infatuated with the dressing room. And I believe what he's saying is for us to make some adjustments, that that's what this is about, to make some adjustments. And he, he, he's not saying this in anger. He's not saying this with contempt. He's saying this telling us that he is slow to anger. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. But how much more could be accomplished if we were at the altar looking at our bridegroom? Come out of the dressing room. Come out of the dressing room. I, I, don't, I don't want to go far down this road. I, I really don't because I, I really want to show you what I believe the Lord's wanting to do with this fast. But John, in, in John chapter 3, he begins to talk about the idea that he must decrease so that Jesus can increase. That comes on the tail end of him saying that whoever has the bride is the bridegroom. <clears throat> One of the things that I think it's imperative for us to understand is that John was called to be a friend of the bridegroom. He says that in John chapter 3. The friend of the bridegroom is the one who prepared the bride to meet the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom is not the one who was supposed to gain the affection of the bride. 
This is why I believe that we're seeing an adjustment in the idea of superstar preachers and worship leaders because they have, we, I don't want to say they, we, they, whoever, all of us have been so infatuated with the friend of the bridegroom that maybe we were not nearly as infatuated with the bridegroom as we should be. So now the friend of the bridegroom has the gaze of the bride and whoever has the bride is the bridegroom. That's what John said. And that's why he said, I must decrease and he must increase. We made that about this false humility thing. We really did. We made it about a false humility thing. But John was saying, don't look at me and don't look just at my message and don't just look at the miracles that are happening. There's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not even worthy to latch. We cannot be so infatuated with the friend of the bridegroom. You know what I have found out? I have found out in my own life, in a pursuit for real kingdom family, I want you to listen to me, in a pursuit for real kingdom family, and in a pursuit to really become the expression of a son in the kingdom, I have found that it is a very narrow road to become infatuated with the friend of the bridegroom. And here's what I found out. Every friend of the true bridegroom is still human and what happens when we when we position ourselves to be so infatuated with the friend of the bridegroom then we misplace expectations on men and miss the ability to actually see the one that he or she is supposed to be leading us to that begins the cycle of religious routine and piety because now we've got to find all over again and most well never mind never mind never mind i'm just telling you that whoever has the bride is the bridegroom and we have to be careful that we don't become infatuated with the friend of the bridegroom listen that that's I want you to understand that that that's why when you come to me a lot of times and you've got issues I don't want to just tell you the way that I lead is not to just say this is what you need to do this is what you ought to do I'm going to ask you questions because I don't want you to become infatuated with me or my ability to discern what's going on I want you to actually go and find out for yourself what the actual bridegroom is saying and what he's doing that's the reason that we have other voices that speak here all the time I don't want you to to find a place where you're like, oh man, I've got to get a word from this person or I've got to get a word from that person. No, no, no. You have to lock eyes with the true bridegroom. And yes, there are some of those in this body who can lead you to him, but don't be infatuated with those people or ministers or ministries across the nation. They're just friends of the bridegroom. They're not the bridegroom. And so... Joel is saying, come out of the dressing room. Don't be so infatuated with who you are. Don't be so infatuated with a friend of the bridegroom. Come out and let's actually meet the bridegroom who's coming out of his chamber as well. Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7.31 
the Bible says that the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride were silenced. Jeremiah 33, 11, they get their voice back. What silences the voice of the bride and the voice of the bridegroom is when we become infatuated with things other than the gaze of the bridegroom. Are you with me? When, when we engage in fasting because it's what we're supposed to do, we miss the eyes of the bridegroom and therefore we miss the voice of the bridegroom. You, you remember when, when um, <clears throat> the woman of reputation came to the party in the New Testament, she came to Simon's house and, and she poured oil all over Jesus' feet and she washed his feet with her tears and dried them you know, with her hair and, and at that same time she, she poured the expensive oil over that. That's one of my favorite stories because Simon is, is there and, and he's saying, man, I can't believe this woman of reputation is coming and she's doing this and Jesus perceives everything in his heart and he says, Simon, he says, you, you, you didn't even give me the common courtesy that you give your other guests. You, you didn't wash my feet. You, you didn't give me any anoint, uh, oil, any oil. You didn't give me any oil to anoint my head. You, you didn't do any of that stuff, but she hasn't stopped doing this. Right. And then the Bible says this. He looks at her and says to Simon, Why? Because the worshiper, the one who is looking for the eyes of the bridegroom, always gets his eyes. He's looking at her and says something that the whole room can hear, but only she can see the tenderness in his eyes of what, she's, what he is saying. And he begins to say, he who has been forgiven much loves much, and he who has been forgiven little loves little. What I'm saying is we cannot become infatuated with anything other than the eyes of the bridegroom. Okay. So the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride were silenced, Jeremiah 33, 11. They get their voice back. Here's what I believe. I believe that the voice of the bridegroom is saying for us to consecrate ourselves. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in just a moment. Come out of the dressing room, take your place at the altar of consecration, and set your eyes on the bridegroom. Return to intimacy. I want you to catch that. Return to intimacy. Deep intimacy. Deep intimacy intimacy deep intimacy become the industrious bride laid out in proverbs 31 she is a type and shadow of the bride and she was extremely industrious he's calling us to become the industrious bride i'm telling you i'm telling you I'm going to go through about 15 in Isaiah 58 and about 17 things that he said he would do for us. And the overwhelming majority of those things have to do with us prospering as a body because he's our God. Become the industrious bride of Proverbs 31. What was the other thing that the bride in Proverbs 31 did? She made her husband famous at the city gates. As we begin to see the things that God releases to us, it's not that he or the world or anyone would see us, it's that we would make our bridegroom famous at the city gates, that when they look at awakening, when they look at the city of Louisville across the nation, they cannot see anything except for the loving gaze of the bridegroom, Jesus. Jesus. 
Become the glorious bride, the glorious church that's talked about without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You understand we're not there. He's coming. That, that, that's one of the things that has so shaped my eschatology. That's what I used to hear all the time. He's coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And I thought that meant that it was going to be a select section of people who dressed the right way and said the right thing and did what was called holiness. And that's not the case. The bride is the collective body of Christ, and we are not without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. We're not there yet. But we're getting there. Are you with me? And that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to become the bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, Ephesians 5. He's calling us to make known the manifold wisdom of God. We're getting ready to jump in to a series of messages from our team here at Awakening that talk to us about explaining the manifold wisdom of God. Your life should echo the principles of the kingdom and live according to Scripture. I'll just give you, I'm not going to preach this, but I want you to understand. One of the things that Proverbs says is for us to lean not on our own understanding. And the truth of the matter, whether we will acknowledge it or not, is that we lean on our own understanding most of the time. That's what we do. We lean on our own understanding. And he specifically said, lean not on your own understanding, right? Make known the manifold wisdom of God, the many-sided wisdom of God. Let him be the one. Okay. All right, he's calling us to a time of fasting and consecration to reposition the bride, but it also forces him out of his chambers. I want you to dwell on that this week. I want you to dwell on the fact that when you reposition yourself as the bride and you come out of the dressing room, it forces the bridegroom to come out of his chambers. Okay, it's imperative that we understand that anytime there is an intense time of consecration, our perception must be that we are separating unto something and not just from something. Are you with me? We're not asking you to fast because we're saying all of you need a diet. It's not what we're doing. We're not asking you to fast because it's the right thing that you do at the beginning of the year because everybody else in the whole entire planet's doing it. That's not why we're doing it. We're not asking you to do this to prove your discipline. We're not asking you to do this to see if you have the ability to be honest and, and to do all of these amazing things and fast. That's not what we're doing. We're asking you to separate unto. I would rather you give up a candy bar and separate unto him than to give up every bit of food and not have your heart changed. You, you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> so, so consecration is unto something, not just from something. I want you to understand that that is what God was trying to get across in Joel chapter 2 and in Isaiah 58 the whole time. And I don't know why I didn't know how to read it like that before. I don't know why I didn't know how to read it like that before. Other than the fact that I was still trying to check the box. I was still trying to make sure that I performed the right way. I was still trying to make sure that I got the right scorecard. I was still trying to make sure that I did this. And you saw my discipline, and here I am. I'm, going, I'm giving you everything I have. I haven't eaten one thing in 21 days, so here I, I did it. Didn't hear any new clarity. Probably treated my family more mean than I should have because I was hungry. You, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not proving discipline. 
in you. It's can we really begin to see him as a big deal and consecrate ourselves unto him, not from something. You cannot, I cannot, we cannot be sustained if the only thing that we see is what we're giving up. I'm telling you, if that is the focus, you will fail. You know how Paul said, I, I, I speak in tongues more than you all? I feel like I could probably say, I break fasts more than you all. Because I can't sustain it based on discipline and seeing what's being removed. I cannot do it. We must see the value of the deepened connection to the man Jesus if we are to be sustained in consecration. We have to see the value. I want to tell you one more New Testament story, and then I promise I'm just going to read these and we'll be done. You remember the story of the great feast going to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in? You remember that in the New Testament? And one said, I can't because I've got a wife and she doesn't want me to come. And I can't because I've got a business and she doesn't want me. And they don't, I can't do this. And I can't just really because I don't want to. It's basically what happened. Have you ever stood back and said, why would they turn down a feast at the king's house? Why would they turn that down to save their marriage? to take care of their business, why would they do that? You understand that ultimately it had, what Jesus is communicating to us, it had nothing to do with the man having a new wife. It had nothing to do with the business. It had nothing to do with anything other than this right here. This is what I believe. They did not place correct value on the invitation of the king. They did not place correct value on the invitation of the king. And here's what I'm saying. If we are to fulfill this moment and this time of consecration and really begin to see what it is that he has for us, if we're really going to see that, we have to remove our eyes from the idea of discipline and difficulty and put our eyes on the value of the king. Put our eyes on the value of the bridegroom. What are the results of engagement of a fast that Yahweh desired. What are the results? Hopefully by now, those of you that are with us, you've read Isaiah 58 probably multiple times. But I just want one more time, I want you to hear what he says that he will do. What he said that he will do. Number one, light breaks through darkness. Light breaks through darkness. I, f I felt even as I was writing these today that there are some of us who have been stuck in what we feel like is a dark room and we can't see what the next step is and we can't, we can't, we, we don't even know where to go. You know, I, I love the scripture that says that, that he is a, um, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I really wish that he was just a light unto my path. I really do. Because if he's a light unto my path, it means I can see the path. But when he's a lamp unto my feet, all I see is the next step. 
You understand? And we, we, get, we get stuck in these places, but I really feel like that the Lord is saying in these times of consecration, what he's doing in this moment is that lightness breaks through. I love what the Passion Translation says. It says, you will be bathed in sunlight. I'm telling you, some, some of you have, 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 have been almost, uh, to use a real churchy term, groping in darkness. You ever heard that? Groping in the darkness. I feel like some of us have been there, and, and we don't know, but he's about to release light. He's about to release light. Number two, healing manifests. It's what he said he would do. He said that healing was a result of us doing what he had desired. Healing would manifest. Number three, righteousness will go before you. Do you know what that means? You, you remember what I taught you, what righteousness means, right? It's right standing with God. That's what goes before you. Oh, do you, do, oh, can you get it like I want you to get it? It means that when people look at you, they don't see you. They see your right standing with God. It precedes you. Your, your right standing, your relationship with God, it precedes you. What is number four? His glory will be your rear guard. You remember Psalm 139, it says that he goes before me to make the way, but he comes behind me to, to protect me from the harm of my past. So my right standing with God precedes me and his glory, his perception of every, oh Jesus, his perception of my past is what protects my rear guard. His perception, not not my perception of how bad I messed up, but what he saw through the blood of his son is what protects me. It's what comes behind me. Yes. Guys, I'm telling you, you better learn to make him a big deal. You better learn to make him a big deal. And I'm not saying that you have to have some kind of certain response. I'm just telling you that what he has done for us, it's a big deal. I'm not on my way to hell, and I don't even have the ability to see myself the way that I used to because his perception is clouding what I used to think about me. Hallelujah. Number five, prayer is answered. Prayer is answered. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you need some prayers answered? He said he would do it. Number six, your cry for help is acknowledged. And then I love it. He reiterates it. Where darkness has been in control, light takes over. These are all from verses 8 to 14. Where darkness has been in control, light takes over. Number eight, Yahweh will guide you where to go and what to do. We've been asking for direction. We're asking where do we go? What's the next step? When you do this and your heart is changed in consecration to him, he will guide you where you need to go. Number nine, he will satisfy your soul in drought. What does that mean? It means that there's a drought. But because of your connection with Yahweh, you don't experience the results of the drought. Guys, I'm telling you, this is why we have to become the industrious bride because when we do things according to his plan and we do what he's laid out, when the rest of the world is in drought, I can stand and say, not at my house, we have plenty to drink and everything that we need is taken care of. It's a result of our heart being in line with him, not our discipline. Right. He will continually restore your strength. Those of us getting up in age said amen. amen. <laughs> number 11, number 11, Jesus, your people, your people will, re will rebuild cities and communities. 
It's generational legacy. He says, not only are you going to get this, it's generational. Your people, your people, your people. Come on, you got to get this. Your people, the ones that you thought had no ability to do it. Your people, the, the, the crazy uncle, the crazy brother-in-law, the crazy brother, all of those things. When we do this right, there's something that happens that goes out, and your people will be the restorer of communities and cities. And you're going to look up and say, how did that happen? Number 12, your people will establish a solid foundation of generational legacy. He said, read it. He said that your people will be the ones who, who reap the benefits of Jacob. He's saying there's generational legacy that's coming to your people. Number 13, you will find joy that comes through serving Yahweh. Number 14, you will be carried over high places with triumph. What does that mean? It means the biggest obstacles, the biggest things that I feel like I can't get over. He's going to carry me. I don't have to do it. Number 15, you will be blessed because of the generations that have gone before. Do you have Bible for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek and Levi was blessed. Four generations later, Levi was, no, not four, it's like 400 years. I knew there was a four in there. 400 years later, Levi is credited because Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. It's a pretty big deal. The promises of Joel too. When we rend our hearts and not our garments, the Lord becomes zealous for the land. The Lord becomes zealous for the land. The blessing of the Lord is on his people when others are struggling economically. Read it. Start in, chapter, start in verse 18 and read all the way down that the blessing of the Lord comes to the house of those who are in line with him even when others are struggling economically. Number three, the absolute removal of the enemy. He said, I'll remove the one from the north, from the east and the west. I'll remove that. The absolute removal of the enemy. Number four, what appears to be dead will come to life again. He said, the wilderness will have green pastures in it. Number five, the former and the latter rain together. The rain that washes away and the rain that causes things to bloom. Number six, the threshing floors will be full of grain. It speaks to harvest. Number seven, when the enemy, whatever the enemy has stolen will be restored. He says that the years that the locust has stolen. Do you know what that means? We can read it and say, oh, man, he's going to restore a crop. No, 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 the years. What does that mean? The crop of that year, the profit of that year, the time of that year, everything that has been stolen by the locust will be restored the years that the locust has stolen. It's not just, oh, it's one thing he's going to give me back. That I'll, No, no, no. He's way bigger than that. He's way more in tune with what we are missing out, and it's that the years, the years will be restored. There'll be no hunger. Shame will be removed. Shame will be removed. You know what? That's what I want to see. I want to see a revival in the body of Christ where shame is removed. Where we don't walk in shame because of past failure any longer. Number 10. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Number 11, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. It's generational legacy once again. Number 12, old men will dream dreams. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on the servants, I will pour out my spirit. Do you know what that means? Those that are seemingly not even a part of the family of Israel. You, you, you want to begin to see prodigals come back in this moment where your heart is turned. Let that become something that you pray for because he said, I'll do that. Those who may not even be a part of the house right now, I'm pouring out my spirit even on them. Wonders in the heavens, signs in the earth. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know we made that about the end of time. But you know what? That's about 2020 right now. As we turn our hearts, we're going to begin to see wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth. We're going to begin to see that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe he's about to release a massive harvest into this kingdom family and into this city. There's something that is about to turn and we better prepare ourselves because when we do what he says to do, not out of performance, but out of setting our hearts before him, he is so tied to his word that he will absolutely do it. I'm blown away. I'm 100% blown away with the idea that God is so married to his word. Listen, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. <clears throat> he is so married to his word that he had to bless Ishmael. You understand that Ishmael is the descendant where we actually get Islam. He was so married to his word to Abraham that he would bless Abraham that even in Abraham's mistake, he had to make Ishmael a great nation. I don't even know how to wrap my head around the fact that he's that good. Look at it. Seriously. You look at everything that we have to deal with as a result. And, and he said, he told Hagar, he's going to be wild. Nobody's going to be able to tame him. He's, he's going to be out there and going, but I will bless him. In, in other words, she was crying, God, we're going to die. There's nothing to drink. And he said, I've already told you. I've already told you that he's going to be a great nation. God is so married to his word that even when it doesn't make sense to us, he blesses. What are you saying, Ryan? I'm saying that when we do what is in this word that has been outlined in Joel 2 and in Isaiah 58, he is so married to what he said he would do, he can't help but produce it. He can't help but produce it. That is the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God. I'm not fasting to gain his approval. I'm not attempting to consecrate myself from something to prove discipline. I'm attempting to consecrate myself to him so that those around me, the city and the nation, are changed. And that's what I'm believing for. That's what I'm believing for. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going. That's what I'm believing for, is that he is going to shape a nation and a city. 
because of what we are doing in positioning our hearts before him just to do what he's desired. Isn't it amazing in Isaiah 58 anyway, we had it all wrong? I haven't chosen for you to fake humility. I haven't chosen for you to starve yourselves and still be mean. I, I haven't chosen. I've chosen that you would, you would feed the hungry. I've chosen that you would make relationships right with your family. I've chosen, I've chosen that you would actually let your heart be changed. You'd actually let your heart be changed. You would actually let some of the hardness that's come in there because you had a misconception about who I am. You had a misrepresentation about who I am, that it would be changed. That's the fast I've chosen. And if you do that, then I'll blow your mind. I'll blow your mind. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. Father, I'm so grateful for your perception. I'm so grateful for the revelation of who you are to us. God, I, I thank you for your sustaining power. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. God, I pray today that we would be the expression of the bride in Louisville that you're longing for. Pray that we would not be infatuated with the reflection that we see in the mirror. I pray that we would not be infatuated with playing dress up and not really producing anything. God, I'm asking that for this body that you would call us out of the dressing room to meet you at the altar of consecration. God, I pray that nothing we do would withhold your blessing from the land. I'm asking you to bless the land. I'm asking you to bless the city. I'm asking you to bless the commerce of Louisville. I'm asking you to bless the government of Louisville. Regardless of what we believe about it, I'm asking that you would release your blessing over this because of your remnant people in this city. God, I pray for grace over these next seven days as we continue to fast and seek your face. God, I pray that you would give grace to go deeper in a life of devotion with you, to go deeper in consecration with you. God, I'm asking for strength. I'm asking for renewed strength. I'm asking for generations to be changed. I'm asking, God, for testimonies of prodigals coming home. I believe it. I believe it. In this first month of the year, I'm asking that we would see the former and the latter rain, the, the rain that, that washes and cleanses everything that the locust has done to eat 
and to tear down. The, the rain that washes all of that away, but at the same time, the rain that brings immediate fruit because Psalm 1, the leaf never withers and it produces fruit in every season. I'm asking for a, a downpour of the former and the latter rain. We trust you today. We trust you and we honor you. I'm asking you to bless your people. God, I'm asking that, that there, there would be promotions that happen that they had no idea was coming. That you would, you would promote them in their workplace. I'm asking God for opportunities to release healing. I'm asking God for, for opportunities to release the blessing of the Lord over our community in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.